0: Good evening. Welcome. Welcome to our midweek service as we continue our journey through the Bible in the book of Luke. So we're so glad that you're here with us in house. We're also very glad that all of you are joining us online. Welcome. I want to remind you that every time we come to church and we stand up and we open our voices and sing I want you to envision tonight, and and every time we do this, that we are entering into the courtroom of our God, of our King, and even though we can't physically be there and see Him, He's here with us, and He is worthy of our praise and our worship, and we come to Him and give Him honor and give Him praise and lift up the name uh, that is above every name, and His name is Jesus. So I invite you this morning, let this morning, this evening, whatever time it is, let's worship him.
1: this to rest upon. To Him, all majesty, ascribe, and crown Him Lord of all. To Him, all majesty, ascribe, and crown Him Where it should go Or see heavenly storehouses in with snow Who imagine the sun And gives source to its light Yet conceals it to bring us The coolness of night None can fathom Indescribable Uncontainable You place the stars in the sky And you know them by name You are amazing God All-powerful Uncontainable Astrut we fall to our knees As we humbly proclaim you are amazing God You are amazing God <laughs> Indescribable Uncontainable you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. Incomparable, unchangeable, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. You are amazing, What amazing God shout to the Lord all the earth let us sing power and majesty praise to the King mountains bow down and the seas will roar the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have. to praise the wonders of your mind. Joy.
0: You are the center of our love and our attention. You are majestic. You are wonderful. You are high and lifted up. And we worship you. Because you are God. And you have done so many wonderful things for us, even giving us this day, another day, that we can live for you, for your honor and glory. Now, as we look into your word, teach us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.
2: Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke 22 as we continue. In our study, we'll be, uh, I think, uh, tonight and next week, and then we're going to be in the 1 Corinthians in our study. We, uh, those of you that didn't go on the men's retreat, um, for those that want to know what happened, God did some amazing things. I believe in a God that does miracles. And one of the, one of the miracles that he did this last weekend is men actually sang. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty cool. Um, So we're stoked about that. Uh, And and so we want to carry that forward. Just as a reminder for those of you who are watching online or here, uh, we do have a men's breakfast that we're going to get together here on Sunday or Saturday again. We want to encourage you to think about getting plugged in with that. And there's just a lot of stuff going on. Before we get into the word, though, I I just want to pause for a minute. I I just really feel that uh, I want to pause tonight and, and just pray for Ukraine and what's going on there. Can we do that? Just kind of intercede for that, the believers that are there. I read an article on Christianity Today, um, and it was written this last week. We don't know what that what that kind of oppression is. And there was a pastor that had decided uh, two Sundays ago that, and he was in Kiev, in the in the city that's being surrounded. And he decided that he was still going to hold church service. Not only did he hold church service, and he, and he preached. Um, in Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare, but he preached on that. The whole church gathered together. They preached on it. And then he says, and after church, then we're going to have a first aid class. And I thought, how practical is that to be able to be in that place and to be so focused that we're going to put God's word first and then we're going to be helpers to those that are around us. And so I just want to pray for the believers that are there and the suffering that's going on. So let's do that. So God, we come before you right now. and Lord, we know that uh, these trials and tribulations... Must come as we study on Sunday mornings and, and the Olivet Discourse and these end times. Yeah, and Lord, I thank you for the, the great message that Jim did on, on this last Sunday while I was gone. And Lord, we realize that these are the end of days. And that these tribulations must happen. And you tell us in your word, woe to those that are involved with it when it does happen. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Just hearing the stories of pastors preaching and then doing first aid or or married couples not postponing their wedding because they they believe that it's important that that they serve the king and declare their love one for another. Missionaries that are shutting down Bible college and, and it taking two days just to be able to get out of the country. And how God, you did so many miracles in that. Lord, I hear these stories of these miracles. Lord, I pray for the perseverance of the saints that are there for their protection. I pray for an end uh, to this unnecessary war, Lord, that you would set a hedge of protection around the believers. But Lord, we know that in tribulation, you provide opportunity for testimony. Lord, may those testimonies come forth and bring encouragement for us. We bind together as one body, one faith under one God with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. May your grace be upon them even now. And as we study your word tonight, we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, we're coming to an end here of, of Jesus's time as he is moving closer. We last left him uh, in the upper room, finishing out the Lord's Supper within his time with his disciples in this discourse that he had. As we move through Luke, there are ser- certain things that that are in the other uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, that that help shed, shed light on, on Luke's account, but also John. That brings us into that place, but have you ever wondered um, what Jesus would have discussed because in our you know in our mind's eye, we have a very narrow idea of they leave the upper room and then all of a sudden they're at the Garden of Gethsemane. But within that, there would have been a discussion that would have taken place on the way. and so within this, what I want to do is kind of show you a map to to orient you to where they're going, so they would have been here in the upper room, and they would have walked down along along the southern steps, the southern wall, down through guyhon Springs, down into the Kidron Valley, and then up into the Mount of Olives would be right up here along the Kidron Valley, up to the Mount of Olives. They would have had a discussion we'll talk about in a minute. Actually, when you take a look at John chapter 13 all the way to John 17. If you were to take a look at it and say, okay, where does that fit? That's John 13 to John 17 all along here up to the Garden of Gethsemane that is in this location that is here. And then from Gethsemane, Jesus would be arrested and then taken down past the Antonio Fortress, which is on the north end corner, the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. And then taken over into uh, the, the house that we're going to take a look at. Um, the house of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest. From Caiaphas and, and Annas, the high priest, they would go over to see Pilate back over here by the at the Antonio Fortress. From there, they would go see Herod. Herod wouldn't want anything to do with them, send them back to Pilate. And from Pilate, he would come over to uh, the traditional side of Calvary, or as I believe, it would have been Golgotha, which would be out actually right up in, into this area up there. So that kind of gives you an idea. Not a lot of walking. For those of you that have been to us with Israel, from, from here over to here probably would take you about 20 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, you know, across here, maybe 20 minutes to across here, and then maybe another 20 minutes over to here. So it's not a big area. So in your mind's eye, as we work through these passages, keep in mind this is, it, this is late at night on a Thursday night, and on into Friday morning where they would have been doing this. They would have been and Jesus would have been having these discussions in John 14, his farewell dis- discourse with them, 15 and 16, having that conversation. I do want to lead, uh, lead you as uh, we saw that. Can you put that map back up for me real quick? So if you take a look at between number two and number three, we would have had that discourse. But I want you to think about um, walking along this cobblestone kind of road and it's dark at night you just sang a song out of the upper room and Jesus is having this whole discourse in John 15 but hearing these words says this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you greater love has no one than this that the one lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what I command you Jesus would say, no greater love is this than the one who lays down his life for his friends. As he's walking along the Kidron Valley, going up to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then getting ready to pray, knowing he's going to be arrested in a very, very short time, taken over to be tried, and Within 24 hours, less than that, he would be crucified. And he says, no greater love is this than one who lays down his life for his friends within that. And he says, you are my friends if you, if you do what I command you to do. He walks through this in 15. So I would encourage you on your own, in your personal devotion time, maybe tonight before you go to bed, read John chapter 14 through 17. Picture in your mind what we're talking about tonight, the distress That would have been happening. The tension of Jesus being with his disciples, his friends, after three years. And then knowing that he is going to say goodbye. That he's going to be arrested and taken off. We also find in 17 the true Lord's Prayer. Whereas as they're walking, Jesus would have been walking along this cobblestone road. Having just finished his discourse and then allowing the disciples to chitter-chatter as they go. And he's praying as he's walking John seventeen. Praying this prayer within earshot of what the disciples would be able to hear him praying this prayer as John records it within this. Where were they going? They were going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we'll pick up in verses 39 to 46. It says this in verse 39. And he came out proceeding as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he began to pray saying father if you are willing remove this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done now an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthening him and being in agony he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground and he arose from prayer and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping of sorrow, And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may enter, may not enter into temptation. So where did they go? They went to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is a picture from the Garden of Gethsemane. And as you take a look through these olive trees, this path would have not been there. The gate would not have been there. But if you look across, do you see that little tower that's right there? And those two arches, that's the east gate. That east gate goes right up into the temple, of, the Temple Mount, into the temple courtyard, and into the holy of holies. This is how close it would have been. Now this, this wrought iron wouldn't been there, and this is a graveyard that they planted to try to keep Jesus out of it. Graves are not going to keep him out. I can tell you that. But this whole area would have been just a big olive grove. Gethsemane, meaning the 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 place of olives, and it's on the other side of the Kidron Valley. It means olive press. Notice how it says it was his custom. I think I have another picture of the garden. This tree would have been there when Jesus was there. Look how big this is. Now you say, well, it's not very tall. Well. One of the things that ended up happening in Israel when the Romans take o- took over and they would try to figure out how to make money. Government likes to tax things, don't they? Well, they started taxing on trees that were in the area. So what would you do if you're getting taxed on something? What would you do? Get rid of it. So a lot of these trees were all cut down. Now they've been kept, but you can take a look at how big that olive trunk is. And those trees are ancient. Can you imagine what would happen if trees could talk? And tell the story. That would just be amazing. I think I have another picture. This is another picture. Again, this is a, a part of a monastery that's there. But when we go to Israel and we walk through, these are the areas that we can go and we can pray and we can t- walk. It didn't look like this when Jesus was there. It was very, very uh, picturesque from a, from a grove. It, just imagine an olive grove. And, and Passover, and people would have been camping all throughout that place, no lights that were there. I think, is that it or is there one more? I can't remember. I think, is that, no? Nope, that was it. So within that, so you, I want to give you that picture in your mind of a hillside, and it's dark. And olive trees are all over the place, and, and people are kind of camped out throughout there. But note the text says, as was his custom. What does that mean? That means it was customary for Jesus to spend nights going out after a meal and going and praying. It was his custom to go to a mountaintop and pray to be able to do that. It was not unordinary for Jesus to go out and to have that fellowship time with his father. It was a regular practice for him to be able to do that. Why is that important? Because if you remember, we last left Judas who had left the table to go conspire for a convenient time, to turn Jesus in to who? The religious leaders. They needed to find a place and a time where they can go arrest him without the crowd being there. So after the meal, Judas goes, I know where he's going to be. He's going to be up in Gethsemane. So he runs off and he goes and hooks up with the Religious leaders, he gets his 30 pieces of gold and he says, I'll tell you, I'll take them to where you're going to be. I'll turn them in for you. For this convenient time. So the custom of Jesus praying, the habit of Jesus praying and most likely in a specific place. Was the place where Judas was going to meet and betray him. Now, did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? Did Jesus know that he was going to betray him that night? Sure. He said in the bull, what you do, go do quickly. Now, if you knew that they were going to arrest you, would you go to the place to be arrested? He did. Why? No one took Jesus' life. He gave it freely. He didn't allow, as our Ukrainian brothers said, the fear of man to be a snare. He continued doing what was necessary. And what was necessary was prayer. He knew the cross was coming. He knew the trials was coming. And so he knew that the difficulties were coming. And so the most important way to face temptation or trials or testing is through prayer. So what does he do? He goes and he prays. We think about this, this olive oil. It is not by chance that Jesus picks the Gethsemane, this olive oil. The way that olive oil is produced is olives are picked and then they are compressed, smashed, so that the oil will be secreted out of the olives under great pressure. How do you get virgin oil? Pressure. How do you get extra virgin oil? More pressure. And it's the purest form. The initial oil that comes out of the the, um, olives is a very rough oil. It's a very dirty oil. But what ends up happening in in the Near Eastern culture, as they would create a lever in sandbags or, or bags and press the olives out, the final pressing is the one that produces the greatest valuable oil. The pure, pure, pure oil. It's not, again, not by chance that, that Jesus would be the, um, the purest form under that pressure that, it, that is in there. And so this garden spot that Jesus goes to, he goes knowing that there was going to be this place where he was going to be tried, he was going to be tested. So he goes to this place he, and he gets in there. And then he takes all 11 with him. Judas is off doing his thing. He takes all 11 with him. As he's walking along, some of the disciples stop. But he says to three of them, Peter, James, and John, you come with me a little bit further. Luke doesn't give us that account, but Mark and Matthew do. They go a little bit further. And Jesus gives the same instructions to all of them. They're not far from each other. And he says, pray. 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 Pray for what? Pray that you would not enter into temptation or trials. Why? Because hell is about to break loose on Jesus and hell is about to break loose on the disciples. They're going to get put under a sense of pressure that they've never experienced before. How do you deal with the coming trial? How do you deal with the coming testing? When you know it's coming, it's unavoidable. What should you do? Pray. How should you pray? Fervently. You should pray intensely to be able to do this. And and it's interesting in both um, in the beginning in 40 and then also in 46, he creates what's called an inclusio. He says, pray that you would not enter into temptation or that you would not enter into that trial. And it's not a matter of praying out of the trial, but it's a matter of praying through that trial. That you would not fail in that. And in, in, in that, it is not just even for this, but it's going to be for the daily living going on. Jesus is going to model. Pray that you don't fail the test. Are you tested in your life? How often are you test, is your faith tested? Every day. Is your faith tested in many ways? Yeah. So when James says, count it all joy, brothers, when you go through a diversity of testing, multicolor testing. Count it all joy. How can you be joyful when you're being tested? You know how? Pray. And make prayer a priority. If prayer is not a priority in your life, you will fail the test. In fact, the initial one, is, the initial test of, of being able to pray is whether or not you can stay awake to pray. Have you ever tried praying and fallen asleep while you were praying? Reading the Bible while you're praying? It is one of, you know, you can stay awake to watch the dumbest shows or listen to the craziest things. But the minute you pick up your Bible, what do you want to do? You want to go to sleep or you start praying. What do you want to do? You want to go to sleep. When you come to church on Sunday morning, Pastor Kerry starts teaching. What do you want to do? Go to sleep. It is spiritual warfare to pray. It's hard. Well, Jesus says pray so that you'll pass your test. Going a little bit further, a stone's throw, as the text would tell us. He prays. What does Jesus pray? He says this, and notice in 42, he says, Father, or literally Abba. If you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. We're given small windows from time to time of Jesus' intimate relationship with His Father. When He cries out, Abba, that is the most intimate title that you can give, Daddy. If you are willing... That's an interesting statement. If you are willing... In Greek, that is the first class condition. If you are willing... And it is possible that you were willing. Take this cup from me. Was it possible for God to remove this this path for Jesus? Yeah. Because God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do. But what's interesting is the Holy Son is praying to the Holy Father in what's called hupotasso or submission. And he says... Because I am placing myself under your authority, if you are willing, take this trial from me, this testing from me. Testing is difficult. And Jesus' test was way different than any test that we will ever encounter. We will never know the depth of this test, of this trial. But as perfect man, he had to go into this test and overcome the difficulty and win the test. Why? Because the first Adam messed it up. And so it's important to understand, he says, if you're willing, and it is possible, I believe it to be possible. And again, it's hard for us to conceptualize this, that this cup of wrath and this cup of judgment be taken from me. You say, well, how does that work? In Jesus' holy humanity, he was going to encounter, as I said, the most difficult test he could ever experience. The full weight and wrath of his father. And he has never experienced wrath from his father. He's never experienced that kind of, of wrath that would be poured out upon him. Because they've always been in a love relationship. The eternal love relationship that exists between the Father and the Son has been unbreakable. But in a point in time, very shortly, God will pour out upon Jesus His wrath that Jesus has never experienced. And for Him, in His humanity, He was dreading that. I don't want to do that. It would be difficult. In First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians, five twenty-one, Paul says he made him, being Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that purpose clause we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is the ultimate trading places. We who are sinners that deserve the full wrath of God, Jesus, who is the Son of God, that is holy, the Holy Son, that has never sinned, is going to take the full wrath of the Father that was due us. And in turn, He's going to take His righteousness and put it upon us so that we don't have to experience that wrath. Everything fell upon Him. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us, from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree have you ever looked at something in your life and you go i don't want to go there i don't want to do that i don't want to experience that it, maybe it's a chronic disease or or something some something something that you know is inevitable I don't want to do that. And you cry out to God, is there any other way? And God says, there could be, but this is my choice for you. How do you wrestle with that? The same way that Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done. I submit to it. And I trust that you will not deliver me from it, but that you will deliver me through it. The right answer is not my will, but yours be done. And in the same way that the Father took the Son through that, and the Son was resurrected on the other side of the suffering, is the same promise that we have. There is no darkness so dark, no pain so great. No suffering so intense that the hand of God will not guide you through it and take you out on the other side into His presence. How do I know that? Because Jesus did it. And our life is in Him. That's our guarantee. We come to verses 43 and 44. And as we study these, and as you study them a little bit more, 43 and 44 If you notice, they're in your Bibles, and and some translations may not have them. They're bracketed. Why? Because they're not in the original text. Much later, this was something that was added by some scribes that was part of some discussions that they had, and it was said that an angel had come down and that he had had, uh, sweated these drops of blood. These are highly debated. Is it possible that Jesus sweated blood? Yeah, doctors have, have stated that there can be such an intensity and in stress upon a person that that as they are under that stress, that the capillaries that are closest to the skin would break and then it would mix with the sweat and it would drip his blood. So could that be possible? Sure. Could it be that an angel came and ministered to Jesus? Sure. Am I going to debate it? No. You know why? I wasn't there. But it's not something I'm going hang to a, hang a deep theological um, position on. What is important is what happens after that in 45-46. And Luke only gives us one account of it. Mark and Matthew gives us three accounts. What happens when Jesus gets done praying? He goes back and what does he find his disciples doing? Sleeping. And he wakes them up. And he said, wake up. Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Well, no. The Passover meal was really good. I'm kind of full. He said, pray that you don't enter in temptation. He would go out and pray again. Come back again. Find him asleep again. Wake him up. Pray. Goes again. Prays. Comes back again. You're sleeping again. Wake up because the hand of the one that has betrayed me is here. There is a testing going on. Jesus was being tested with the will of God. While the disciples were being tested on Perseverance. While Jesus is is wrestling with something intense and winning, the disciples are wrestling with the human flesh and what? Losing. We struggle with that. I think if the disciples had full view of what was about to happen, they might have been a little bit more intense and, and intent on prayer, but they didn't. So what does this tell me? Even though I don't understand the future, when God tells me to do something simple like pray, what should I do? Pray. I don't know the future, but God tells me to pray. That with everything, with prayer and supplication, that we bring our requests before the Lord. That we pray. Prayer is our greatest tool. It's where we fight the battles. And if we persevere in prayer, then we are empowered to be able to persevere through the test. If you're not praying, you will fail your test. Guaranteed. The future, I'm sorry, the failure to persevere begins with the failure to pray and we need to be a praying people. Moving on into verses 47 to 53, we get into the next section And in this next section is Jesus' betrayal. Look at at, at 47 to 53. It says, While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and one called Judas. One of the twelve preceded them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw that he was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? One of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come with him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me, but now, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. So we look at that and we see what happened. Well, the next scene is, is Judas coming up. And Judas is coming out of the Lion's Gate from the Antonio Fortress across the Kidron Valley. Now, in the Antonio Fortress, there could have been upwards of 600 Roman guards. Not to mention the uh, temple guard that would have been present at that time. Being it's Passover, there could have been any more up to a thousand. Now, that doesn't mean that 600 to a thousand Roman guards came out to go see Jesus. The reality is it was probably a few Roman guards and mostly temple guards that came out. But having been there, and those of you who have been in the garden, when you saw how close that eastern gate wall was, in the dark of night, carrying torches, could you think you could hear them coming? Could you see the torches coming? Pitch black at night. Sure, you could see, you could see how easy it was. Did Jesus run? No, he waited. As they were coming across the Kidron Valley, in my mind's eye, the text doesn't tell us, but in my mind's eye, Judas had distanced himself far enough away from the soldiers and the chief priests because he had made this agreement. The one that I kiss on the cheek will be the one that you want to arrest. Why would that be important? Well, one, it's dark. Two, I don't think Jesus had a name tag on. But three, and this is my guess, Judas had created a distance so that he could try to betray Jesus but not be found out by the other disciples. That the other guards would be hidden in the trees, off on the sides. So these guys are off on the sides, trying to be sneaky and they can't be. Judas comes up and gives them a kiss. And I believe that's why Jesus says, and you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. And Jesus announced the betrayal. To the other disciples. Clearly. Why? Because at the Passover meal, Jesus said, the one whose hand is in the bowl will be the one that betrays me. And if you remember, the disciples were clueless on who that would be. And so now Jesus reveals him within that. And then they come out and Jesus rebukes the the people coming out. He says, you came out with swords and all of these things. It, it 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 made no sense to him, not to mention the fact that there was craziness going on. You betray the Son of Man with a kiss. And all those that were around him, verse forty nine, saw what was happening, and then they said, Lord, shall we strike? Now you say, Well, where did that come from? If you remember when Jesus said and gave him instructions, When you go, take a sword with you. So they were all armed. They all had their swords. If you remember, they said, do we need two? He said, no, one's enough. You know, there are times when we think, you know, how many guns does a guy really need? Well, one would do. And we think about that. All they had to have was one. So in their mind, they're going to have to fight. Jesus gave us license to fight to bring the sword. I don't fault them. But Jesus says, no. But then you got Peter. Now, Luke doesn't tell us Peter. John does. John says it was Peter. Why John and Peter had this thing going, you know, even when they run to the tomb, John's always telling on Peter, you know, they, they run to the tomb and John says, and I got there first. And then Peter pushed me aside and runs in. They have this thing going on. So John is the apostle that tells on Peter, but Luke doesn't. He just kind of tries to keep an anonymous and Peter, you know, the other guys are going, Lord, is there time? And Peter's like, I'm not waiting for permission. And he starts swinging. Well, he cuts off this guy, the servant's, Malchus's ear. And within this, he, he makes this attempt to defend Jesus. And within this, I'm thinking, Peter, what are you thinking? You're a fisherman. These are soldiers. There's 11 of you. Don't you know they can take you out? But Peter's like, I'm going to defend the Lord. We're told that Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. Don't you know I can call down a legion of angels? Matthew's account says, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus, Son of God. I am he, boom, and they all fall over. And again, in my sanctified imagination, if I was Jesus, I'd have a little fun with them. Wait till they got back up. Who are you looking for? Say it. Come on, say it, say it. Jesus, boom, make him fall over again. No one took Jesus' life he gave it put your sword away and then he reaches down and picks up the ear and puts it back in place and he says stop no violence no more now again knowing near eastern culture and having been over there near eastern people in the near east can be real hot headed you got a fisherman that swings a sword what do you think the other soldiers are going to do And Jesus commands the whole group to stop. Power under control. If you've got this picture in your mind of Jesus being this meek, little, mild, wimpy guy, you've got the wrong Jesus. He is power under control. This is the time of testing for Jesus and for the disciples within this. And so Jesus is there and, and, and controls this whole thing. And then he confronts them and rebukes them. He says, you come out with swords and clubs as if I was a robber? You could arrest arrested me at any time. You're going to come in the dead of night? You're going to treat me as a robber? There's irony in that, though. There's irony in that because you take a look at Luke chapter 23, verses 32-34. It says this, And two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up the garments upon themselves. From the time of the arrest to the time of the crucifixion, yes, they treated Jesus like a common criminal. The Holy Son of God. Treated as a common criminal. And he allowed it. Why? Why did he allow it? Because he surrendered to the will of his father. Even though he wouldn't like it. There are times when we will be tested and tried. And we are not going to like it. But we accept it because it is the will of God. The other aspect that he ends on 53, he says... But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Notice how he says that. I turn this over, this time, this control, over to the power of darkness, which is who? Satan. Satan. Give it your best shot. We'll see. Now, Satan in his mind, who is not omniscient, has in his mind, I'm going to kill the Son of God. I'm going to kill the Son of God. I would love to be a fly on the wall when Jesus comes back and is resurrected. I would love to be able to look at Satan's face and go, you lose. To see that expression when he thought that he won. To realize, I really messed up. I didn't kill the Son of God. The Son of God redeemed mankind. He paid for those sins. It's amazing to think that Satan, the ruler of the world, thinks that he will win. And the fact of the matter is, he is still thinking he's going to win. Not in the end, everybody. But he's going to try to take down as many people with him as possible. That's why as the church we are doing spiritual warfare. We need to pray. We need to share the gospel for those that would be saved. Moving on into the next part of Luke's narrative. Verses 54 to 62. Jesus is now going to be arrested and he's going to be taken into the trials. We'll read through it and then we'll come back and unpack it. And he says, and having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together. Peter was sitting among them and a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, This is the man with whom with him, too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little a little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them, too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an hour passed Another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. So Jesus leaves the Garden of Gethsemane. He's being led over to the high priest's house. I got a couple of pictures I want to share with you. This would have been, this is a temple model, and again, if you've gone with us, this is, this is the temple model, or the, the model of the high priest's house. This whole courtyard and complex would have been part of the high priest's house, and inside here would have been a corridor area. So you would have come up into these steps right through down this hallway up into here, and then you can make it into one of these courtyards or the main courtyard there. Can we have the next one? This is, this is a, a look at what it might have looked like. It's still part of the, um, some of the buildings and structures that are in there. These are balconies that wrap across. This would have been the center of the courtyard area. So if you imagine a little fire that would have been here, some people sitting off to the side, Jesus would have been tried in one of the rooms, first to Annas in Annas' house. And I'll explain who Annas is in a minute. But then he would have been moved by the guards across one of these balconies out of Annas' house and over to where Caiaphas would have been in the Sanhedrin, where the Sanhedrin would have been gathering together for the trial. And that would have been in the bigger section of the model that I showed you earlier. Is there one more or is that it? I think I had two. that was it. So within this, we've got to understand this account. Now, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and John all give the account but they all give these different looks. When Jesus was brought down, he was brought to Annas first. Annas was the high priest from six AD to fifteen AD within that period of time. He was not the high priest when Jesus was uh, was there. But his son Caiaphas was. Now we take a look at government and government can be corrupt, can it not? You got to take a look at the position of high priest. In our culture, we have a president. In the Jewish culture, the one that's in charge of the Jews at the time would have been the high priest. Because remember, the temple was their form of government. So Annas was the the old high priest, but he didn't want to give up control So he would have Caiaphas take over as high priest. So when the guards had brought Jesus to Annas, what they were really doing was bringing Jesus to the one who was really calling the shots. Annas. To be able to stand him. Jesus would stand through six different trials. Three religious trials and then three political trials. He would stand before Annas. The second trial would be before, who is the fake high priest. He's not the legitimate high priest, but he's the one that's calling the shots. He would go to Annas first, and it's at night. And this is taking place somewhere around three in the morning-ish. He would go to Annas first, and then from Annas, who would grill Jesus and things would happen, then he would go to Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin at night. Sanhedrin meaning seventy. So all the 70 leaders, they would be Pharisees, scribes, and Herodians, they would all gather together and have a kangaroo court at night with Caiaphas. So it was the unofficial court where, again, they would try Jesus and look for a reason to bring accusation against him. They would gather together as many false witnesses as they could, and they had to have at least two to three witnesses that would agree on a testimony, and they couldn't find them. So what they would do is then they would they would bribe they ended up bribing some people to get a couple of witnesses. They go, okay, now we got them and now we got the witnesses. They did it at night. The problem is, it was illegal to have a court or a trial, a criminal trial of um, with a death penalty. It was illegal to do it at night. They had to do it during the day, according to Jewish law. That leads to the third trial. So once they have a verdict with Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they would reconvene after 6 a.m., which would be the legitimate time that they would start the court. And then they would rehash the exact same things they did at night to get a conviction. From there, Jesus would be taken over to Pilate. And we'll talk about it in a minute. Why Pilate? Because Pilate is the Roman official. Pilate doesn't find anything wrong with him. And Pilate doesn't want to deal with him. Pilate is the first of the legal courts. Pilate says, I don't find anything wrong with him. So what am I going to do? I'm going to send him over to Herod. Why? Because Jesus is from Galilee, and Herod is over the Galileans up in the north, and I'm going to let him deal with it. Jesus gets over to Herod, doesn't want to deal with it. And and so Jesus is silent, Herod gets mad, and he sends him back. Jesus comes back to Pilate. Pilate says, I don't know what to do with you. I can't find anything wrong. Goes to the people. What do you want me to do? Jesus or Barabbas? You guys know they count. They say Barabbas. He says, I wash my hands. And so that was the sixth trial or the third legal court. And then he gets let off. So next week, we're going to take a look at more of the, the trials. But we want to understand the events that are happening within this trial. So. While this first trial is going on with Annas, up in that upper room, Peter and John have been able to get into the the courtyard. John accounts for the fact that they, they follow Jesus from a distance. And as we read, they follow from a distance. Why? Because they don't want to get caught. But they want to see what's going on. So Peter and John, they're sneaking through. They come to the gate. John goes, I know the doorkeeper. John gets him in. And so Peter gets in and he gets over by this fire. Now he's warming himself by the fire in the courtyard because he knows that Jesus is in one of these upper rooms being tried by Annas. He wants to hear what's going on. Legitimate concern. But while he's warming himself by this fire, what happens? A servant girl recognizes him and says, You're one of his disciples. You're one of his disciples. I, I was reminded of Psalm 1-1. And it, it, it's an interesting warning. It says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor, what? Sit in the seat of scoffers. Is Peter someplace where he should not be? He really shouldn't be there. But he went out of concern. But do you remember what Jesus said to Peter at the upper room? Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. I will not. I will not. Even if I have to die, I'll go with you. No, you're going to deny me. Remember that conversation? Here's the first one. Peter was being tried. He was being challenged. In fact, at that time, when Jesus announced that, he says, Peter, I'm praying for you that you will not fail. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And I'm praying for you that you will not fail your trial. What trial was Jesus speaking of? The trial in the garden Of staying awake awake enough to pray. The trial of not losing your temper and cutting a guy's ear off. The trial of being called out as a Christ follower. How's Peter doing? Not so good. The first challenge he fails from this accusation. And he denies him. The second challenge was another servant that calls Peter out. Mark and Luke has it as a, a, a servant girl. I'm sorry, Mark and uh, Matthew have it as a servant girl. Luke has it as a servant man. It says, you are a disciple. It's interesting because in verse 58, the you in there is in the emphatic tense. You are. And Peter responds, no, I'm not in an emphatic way. You see the elevation At first, it was just a girl. No, I don't know this guy. The second one is, yes, you do. And he's like, no, I don't. And it becomes even more emphatic. The third challenge is even greater in 59 to 60, where he says, And after about an hour passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man is also with him, for he too is a Galilean. In John chapter 18, verse 26 We're given John's account, and this is where John's telling on Peter again. He says this, and one of the slaves of the high priest being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off. Didn't I see you in the garden with him? (laughs) You cut my cousin's ear off. I was there.
1: Busted.
2: Interesting enough. Mark says this in Mark fourteen seventy one, But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man that you are talking about. See the elevation? Peter, you're denying Jesus. And you're a liar. You know him. Why did Peter deny knowing Jesus? To save his own skin. Why did Peter fail? Because he didn't originally listen to the warning of Jesus. And he didn't pray. Was it Jesus' fault that he failed? No, because Jesus was praying for him. Our failure cannot be hung on Jesus. He is praying for us. We have a high priest that knows our weaknesses. And prays for us. Our failure to succeed through trials, is on us. So how do I not fail? Pray. How do I keep the course? Pray. How do I know prayer is important? Because Jesus did it all the time in His humanity to keep focus. I think if the Son of God, in order to endure all of the things in the cross thought it necessary to pray, then we should pray. What happens when we fail? Self-condemnation. The rooster crows. That fulfilled the prophecy. But what is even worse? Jesus was being moved from Annas to Caiaphas on that boardwalk that I showed you. And when He says... I swear I don't know the man. The eyes of Jesus met the eyes of Peter at that time. Could you imagine? Epic failure. I swear in a loud voice, cursing and swearing. Loud enough, Jesus would have heard. And he stopped and he looked at him. We're not told what that look was. I don't believe the look was condemnation. How do I know that? Because the same Jesus will come later in John and find Peter and say, Peter, do you love me? And restore him, feed my sheep. And he'll say that three times. But it was enough of self-condemnation for Peter to go out and weep bitterly. He was sorrowful. That's the kind of sorrow of repentance. When your heart breaks over your sin, he realized what he had done. As I said earlier, Jesus had been praying for Peter. I'm wondering if during that whole trial with Annas, Jesus was also praying for him. In Luke 22:32, it says, But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when once you have turned again... Strengthen your brothers. Once you have turned again. What was Jesus praying? One, Peter's faith would not fail. But two, two when you realize what you've done, turn around and be useful. Turn around and strengthen others. Why? Because this trial produced a testimony. Every single one of us will fail. We will all fall. We will all mess up. Our hearts will break over sin. We will get into a place of self-condemnation where we will be so down on ourselves. But in Romans 8.1 one says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan is the one that condemns. Jesus is the one that restores. You may fall, and you will. But don't stay down. Jesus is praying for you to get up. You learn from the mistake. You learn from the trial. And that same trial and and failure becomes a testimony that is used for the glory of God. Peter would become the first evangelist of the church and preach a sermon in Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 people would get saved. His failure becomes a testimony of faith. He becomes that much more convinced. Jesus went on to the religious trial. What is Jesus having to go through? We're given that more a little bit more of this narrative within this in 63 to 71. And it says this, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. And they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blasphemy. And when it was day, the council of the elders and the people assembled, both the chief priests and the scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you're not going to believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, you are or are you the son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. And they said, what further need do we have of testimony for we have heard it for ourselves? In 63 to 65 gives us the narrative of what's going on before Annas while Jesus or while Peter is denying him. Jesus is basically getting beaten up upstairs. It's a fulfillment of Isaiah 50 verses five and six says, the Lord has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn my back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheek to those who pluck out my beard. And I did not cover my face from humi- humiliation and spitting. While Peter's denying him downstairs, Jesus is getting his beard ripped out upstairs. And he says, I'm doing it. What was the face that Peter saw? A beat up face. Then, 66 to 71, Luke doesn't give us the rest of the trials as Matthew and Mark do, but Luke does give us the daytime trial. Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin. During the daytime trial, they bring out all the people that are there. Caiaphas is there. The 70 are there within this. And they say, if um, you are the Son of Christ, tell us. That if there is first class condition, but it's sarcasm. In other words, if you are the Christ and you think you are the Christ, then tell us. And Jesus comes back with his own if. If I tell you, you will not believe. If I ask a question, you will not answer. And he uses what's called a second class condition. If I tell you, and and you're not going to believe, and you won't believe. If I answer you, are not going to. So why am I going to waste my breath? It's not worth. It. in fact, the next time you see me, I will be seated on the right hand of God. It's just interesting statement. because what is that position? That's a position of power and justice. The next time you see me is at your own judgment. Powerful. You think you're judging me now? Oh buddy, Wait till you see me in heaven. We'll have a few words. You want to know if I'm the Son of God? You'll get your answer when you're before me in the throne. No one took Jesus' life. He gave it freely. These guys all went through the motions to try Him. I love the fact that they said then, Well, tell us. Are you the Son of God? And Jesus says to them, basically, you say I am. Or it is as you say. Because it really doesn't matter what I say right now, because you're not going to believe me. They said, we got enough. That's blasphemy. The problem is, the Jewish culture could stone for blasphemy according to the law, but the Romans who were over them wouldn't let them do it. How do we kill this guy? we got to send him to Pilate. The religious trials are done. They'll send him over to Pilate. And then they will lie, cheat, steal, do whatever they got to do to get a death sentence. Can you imagine hating somebody that bad? Where does it come from? The pit of hell. And we think of this. No greater love is this. Than a man who lays down his life for his friends. I call you friends. We're going to celebrate communion tonight. These are the symbols of Jesus' body and blood. That remind us of that great love. For us. That he would endure all of this on our behalf. To give us life. My hope is that I painted the picture from Scriptures in your mind. That when you come to this table, you will come to this table with gratitude. Gratitude that your sins are forgiven. Gratitude that you don't have to go through receiving the wrath of God because Jesus did that. What we studied tonight is just the beginning of what He would endure. If this is the worst hell that you'll ever have to see, Imagine what life is like. Yeah, is it tough? It is. Trials, hard. Yes. Nothing compared to what Jesus went through so that you could have eternal life. So that your sins would be forgiven. This table is open to anyone who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, then don't come up and take communion because that's just empty ritual. If you have sin in your life that you're not willing to give up, don't take communion. Because that would make a mockery. Yeah, Jesus, you died for my sins, but I'm just going to keep on sinning. That doesn't work. But as a child of God, if you've accepted the forgiveness and the love that Jesus has for you, this is your way of saying thank you. If you're watching online, take a moment during this next song. Get a piece of bread and Grape juice or something that you can celebrate these elements with us. As God puts it on your heart and through this next song to be able to, to come and to worship. I would encourage you, spend some time in prayer. Think about the cross. Think about the elements. Then come and take the elements and wait till everybody's been served and we'll take it at the end. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can come to this place. So we can celebrate this communion, that we can celebrate new life, that you've afforded to us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to transform us and and to help us through these trials. God, I know that life is hard. And for some, it's even harder than others. But God, you have given us the ability to persevere. And through prayer, we access the power of heaven. And that access has been granted to us through the blood of Jesus, through the body that is broken. Lord, may you work on our hearts as we celebrate you, Lord Jesus, and remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. i Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come to this place. It's a holy place because your spirit is dwelling within your church and the believers that are here. Lord, as we look and we look back over 2,000 years ago, you walked that road. Carried that cross. You were beaten, spit upon, humiliated. You took the worst that man could throw at you. You took the worst that Satan could throw at you. Lord Jesus, that was nothing compared to having to become sin. And bearing the weight of the full wrath of your Father. So that we wouldn't have to. And the amazing thing, Lord Jesus, is you never regretted it. You never turned back. You never tapped out. But for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. And finished well. Seated on the throne. Lord, we live in these mortal bodies in these bodies that are broken by sin but within our own being is a soul that has been redeemed our salvation is guaranteed because you took upon yourself our sin let's hold up this bread and In your mind's eye think about the fact that Jesus would have taken that piece of bread and broke it perhaps even handing it out you received it as if from him and he would say take eat this is my body broken for you and as often as you eat this remember me we thank you for this bread and all that it means we will spend all eternity trying to understand it and never coming to that full knowledge But till then, we remember. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's Let's hold up the cup before the Lord. God, we lift up this cup. This symbol that reminds us of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and continues to cleanse us of all sin all unrighteousness Lord Jesus I thank you that you died once and that your blood was shed once for all of my sin past, present and future and in light of that may I seek not to sin may I seek to live a holy life in honor of you And it's honor of you we lift this glass, this cup of redemption, this cup that reminds us that we are children of the loving and living God. We thank you for this cup and all that it means. As we take it, we take it by faith in honor of you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, let's all receive the cup.
1: game. Yeah.
0: you greatly, and He desires for you to spend time with Him, to worship Him, and most important, to be His witnesses in the area of where you live. And everybody said, Amen. Praise Jesus.
2: Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m.